Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And I sent out a notice on the Living Network just before the show, and uh, it was that the uh, title of the show would be Cubing the Sheaves. And uh, while the intro was still going, I was madly sending up on the Facebook a... uh, a picture of us uh, cubing the sheaves. And uh, what does that mean? What, are, what am I talking about? Well, it all has to do with how you mean words. What do words mean? They can mean lots of things to lots of people. We've been putting together on the Living Network a uh, educational group that is going to be uh, talking about some of the things that the early church did that almost no churches are doing today and would be very important because history is is repeating itself. The church was born during the decline of the republic. Christ was born during the the rulership of Augustus Caesar, who was not really named Augustus, uh, nor was he named Caesar. His name was Octavius. And uh, But he got the title of Augustus, meaning Savior, and Caesar, meaning an office of authority, a executive office in the Roman government. And he was also given the title of Emperor Augustus Caesar, Emperor meant Commander-in-Chief. If I say Emperor, you think of people like Caesar. But if I say commander-in-chief, you think of people like the President of the United States or the ruler of a uh, leader of a particular military. And, of course, the United States, when it was created, one of its chief purposes was to protect the other states from foreign invasion, as if it would bring all the states together in some sort of unified front to protect against foreign invasion, which is absolutely reasonable. Uh, there were some problems with that idea, but the problems have compounded themselves, and one of the culprits is that we don't always understand words, like we the people. We might actually think, in reading the uh, Constitution of the United States, saying we the people, it was talking about the average American. No, we the people was not the average American. It was the people who signed the agreement and then signed on to the agreement in the individual states because the Constitution was an agreement between the states. It was not an agreement with the people. It was not a contract with America. It was a contract in America between the states where they created a third body. I say third, 14th body. We could say it that way except all the all the colonies did not agree to the Constitution, which is what actually made it illegal at the time, because all the 
colonies that had become states, and were actually states even before the American Revolution, had made an agreement that they would not change their Articles of Confederation without unanimous consent. And they didn't get unanimous consent with the Constitution, and they implemented it. So they altered their form of government in a sort of uh, bureaucratic revolution, uh, which eventually the states all did ratify it. But to implement it and then put pressure on some states for not ratifying it was an illegal and immoral act. And so that's how the Constitution came about, is out of an illegal and immoral act (laughs) of pressuring some states into signing on. But they did, and they have acquiesced to it, and so therefore it became law. But even after it became law, the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. That's an idea most people aren't familiar with. A lot of our listeners know about it. It's in Clark's Summary of U.S. American Law, a modern law book that has actually been used for years and years, but still used as a summary of American law. And it said that the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada even after the Constitution was finally ratified by the original 13 colonies, which were states. Those states are no longer foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. And, of course, Mexico isn't as foreign to Canada as it used to be (laughs) because it has signed lots of treaties. It's part of the North American Union and and, uh, GATT treaties. And so that when you sign these agreements, you give up a certain element of your uh, sovereignty as a nation. Even the idea of sovereignty as a nation, what does that mean? A sovereign is someone who has a right to make law. When Rome was originally created, it was a republic, and there were very little laws that the Senate could actually make. They couldn't regulate the people until the people became regulatable. In other words, they changed their relationship to government. They had to become enfranchised citizens. And then they had to start, and one of the ways they do this is by offering benefits. And in order to get those benefits, you had to register. And in order to become eligible, you had to be registered at birth, eventually. Augustus had some birth registration, but it wasn't necessary. It wasn't mandatory until Marcus Aurelius, which was during the height of Christian persecution. And Anyone who thoroughly studies history would know that at the core of Christian persecution by the Roman government, a former republic that had become an empire with a commander-in-chief and a ruling senate that had become lawmakers almost in every aspect of the lives of the people, the Christians would not get those certifications of birth because they were registered at a pagan temple which was a government building called the Temple of Saturn. So when I mention things like Temple of Saturn, you think some sort of pagan temple where people go and worship strange gods. What you do at the Temple of Saturn was register your birth certificate. If you had foreign papers, because you were an ambassador to a foreign country, and you entered into Rome, you would need to register your papers at 
the temple of Saturn uh, to, to notify them that you were a foreign agent in their country. You were in their world, but you were not of it. And so the diligent workers amongst us have been looking at that issue because there is a back door being used in the modern world that we live in to persecute the church where it doesn't look like the government is persecuting the church. That it's just, oh well, it's just business as usual. And what, what I say persecuting the church is that the United States government in the Constitution was told they could make no laws accepting the or prohibiting the establishment of religion. And so they haven't really. They have made some laws that have infringed on that. But they're, they're, they've been treading rather lightly for the last hundred or last fifty years on this subject. A lot of uh, churches think they're being regulated by the state. But of course they're not a part of the church. They've already become state religions because they've incorporated to the state. And, you know, even the IRS and publications that we quote in the, in the Free Church Report states the advantages and disadvantages of filing a 1023 with the IRS and applying to them for a determination letter. That's how you apply, is you fill out that 1023, which says in its instructions that churches do not have to fill this out and along with other publications by the IRS, the churches are automatically considered exempt whether they fill it out or not. Okay. So that's interesting. But yet churches fill it out. They also state in their publications that the, the disadvantage to filing that 1023 is that you become strictly regulated. So, very, very clearly, when they're listing the advantages and disadvantages of filing an application for a determination letter, they're saying that you become strictly regulated. Well, if you're, if you voluntarily become strictly regulated, then they're not establishing religion because you've chosen to become strictly regulated so that you can get you know, uh, special benefits such as cheaper postage. Well, that's that's great. You want to get cheaper postage, but you're getting cheaper postage at somebody else's expense. You're taking a benefit. And so they say, if you want the benefit, you you have to file. And then we will provide you with the benefit. Well, that's how they were, why they were saying you had to register your birth certificate is to obtain a benefit, or lots of benefits. Health care, they had health care in Rome, they had uh, welfare, they had the equivalent of food stamps, uh, little tokens where you could go and get free everything, not just bread, but wine, uh, pork, dairy products, I don't know, that, lots of stuff, lots of food substances that they, they'd even give out money. But you had to prove that you were eligible, so you had to have this token, and that token was literally your food stamp by today's standards. 
and Christians wouldn't apply, and therefore they couldn't get those things. But that's okay, because Paul said they had a table of which they ate, which the Roman government could not eat. In other words, the the funds that they had provided to faith, hope, and charity could not be touched by Roman government. And this is the law in Rome even prior to Augustus, although Augustus passed certain laws guaranteeing that churches' funds could not be taxed for their substance. You know, for instance, if they were bringing food supplies through a border crossing, uh, if you were doing that as a commercial venture, they could take a portion of the, that food. But if you're doing it as the church, they couldn't touch it. It was sacred. It was separate. That's what. That's where the word sacred comes from. It comes from the idea that it's separate. It's not subject to the tax. It's separate. Now, your modern church is not separate. It's it's plugged in in about a hundred different ways. Uh, your ministers are plugged in. Uh, your your churches are corporations. Uh, your churches file 1023s and become strictly regulated in order to obtain benefits, which brings them more and more into the realm of a Rome, of governments all over the world. This goes on. It's not just the United States. It's everywhere. We're talking about legal principles. Well, even the ministers, like I say, they're taking benefits, so therefore their institutions are not separate. And they are not separate. So where's the separateness? Where's the sacredness? Uh, that's what sacred means, is separate. Holy means separate. To separate. They aren't separating. They are of the world. Their churches are of the world. Their ministers are of the world. They are human resources because they wanted benefits at the expense of their neighbor. And why this has happened, let's put it that way, because it's actually kind of like a journey, left foot, right foot, is because of a cognitive dissonance. Well, some interesting things happen this week, and everything that happens out here in the field happens on in the real world of the church. It's like it's almost like prophecy. I see it over and over again. Lost sheep, sheep gathering together in groups and wandering off on their own, separate from everybody else. The dairy cow is about to give birth. Uh, four gophers died in the field of drowning. <laughs> These are signs, but uh, that we don't want to get too superstitious about it. But I mean, we can use these stories as parables. And I, I in the third show or fourth show I do today, uh, or at least the third show that airs today, we'll we'll probably talk about some of those parables because the listeners there they like those uh, stories, those sheep stories. And now we got gopher stories and. And the dairy cow is going to have a calf. And and we're haying. And so I sent off a picture on the Facebook, my Facebook. It didn't go out on His Holy Church Facebook. It could. I guess if they like it. Anyway, uh, it's a picture of bales of hay in the field. And I refer to it as cubing the sheaves. Because you know the old um, phrase of uh, bringing in the sheaves. Uh, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Well, sheaves are are bundles of hay, bundles of grain, 
they're tied together, and you see them standing in the field. Those are sheaves. And bringing in the sheaves is about the harvest. So we're, we're cubing our hay because we're putting it up in bales. So we're cubing the sheaves, so to speak, because we don't wrap them up in long sheaves and bring them in that way. But when we use that term, cubing the sheaves, it could mean two different things. You know, like shearing the sheep. You've heard us mention shearing the sheep. Well, last week we sheared the sheep. We've got a thousand pounds plus of wool uh, in two huge bags, 500 pound bags that are going to go off to the sale and uh, be sold. And we get a higher price than most, but it's not going to make us rich because it costs a little bit to have them sheared. The point is is that uh, shearing the sheep if we talk about it, we're actually talking about real sheep getting sheared. <laughs> and now they don't have that heavy wool fleece on during the hot parts of the summer. It's a good thing. But if you go to another church shearing the sheep, that could mean a bad thing. It's a question of how the word is used and meant and uh, the environment in which that word is used. So... Why Why am I talking about this? Um, His Holy Church's Keys of the Kingdom? Because one of the keys of the kingdom is understanding the context in which words were used in the Holy Scripture. And that context is not visible to most people. They don't see it. They They don't receive that information within that context. Uh, they are oblivious to the the truth of what was really going on in the early church. They just don't see it. They don't know about it. They don't hear about it. And that's why we write the books we write, the articles we write. That's why we do these shows. is so that you can become familiar with what other people... Are, um, or did at the time of Christ. And that familiarness will come to you and it will create a cognitive connect instead of disconnect. Because you've been disconnected from what Christ was really doing. And there's lots of different religious philosophies and eschatologies that have come along that uh, have distracted your thinking by drawing pictures of early Christianity that you don't understand. If you don't know that there was a baptism that was being done by Herod and his ministers, and the difference between those two, when you use the word baptism, it may not mean what it meant to the early church. If you are told about believing in Jesus, and you don't know what the early church thought believing in Jesus looked like, then you don't know what they're really saying when it's talking about faith in Christ. You may have faith in an idea about Christ, but it may not be right. One person wrote, and I, I saw it just before I went on the air today, on the Living Network, on a new group that we have, an order group, I believe it went to the order group. It says it went to me. It may not have gone to the whole group. <laughs> I can find that out whether it did or not. Let's see. Did it? 
Oh, yeah, it did. Okay. Sent to me into the whole group. Um, but in it, he says, uh, because there was some question, what we're doing is everybody on this group, you can only get on that group if you have a personal contact minister that you pick from a team of personal contact ministers all over the country and in Australia and, and wherever. But you can pick from them and talk to them about getting on this free educational group which is going to be like a kind of an online seminar. It's going to progress, hopefully, in our spare time and show you things that you could go to seminar after seminar, pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for, and and you won't get this kind of detailed information. You won't get this accurate, footnoted, backed-up, information about the early church and what it did to survive and thrive during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Why Christ set it up in the way that he did. Why he appointed, why he said, I appoint unto you a kingdom to the apostles. What those apostles were doing and how that relates to what you should be doing and what the modern church is not doing, which is why the whole world has gone back into bondage. Okay, that, that's kind of a brief overall. But anyway, we're going to put on this course and so I've asked the people, and we got lots and lots of people signing up, uh, but they have to get on the Living Network at thelivingnetwork.org, and then they have to pick a contact minister, and people will tell you how to do it and who's available in your area. And that contact minister knows the links of how to get you into the course, to set you on course. But in order for us to pick the PCMs, the personal contact ministers, we call them PCMs, personal. They're your minister. You pick them. And all they're doing is helping you make contact. One way is to take this free course. Another way is to join a local congregation. They'll know where these things are to meet other people. They have access because they were chosen by the people, not by us, but they were chosen. They have access to email lists of who gets on local groups in Texas or whatever. So they can contact you. They're also in contact with contact ministers all over the country, so they know what they're doing. Well, the contact minister group is what we call a row-only group. It's actually to be a team effort. These guys have to work together. They have to know what working together looks like. And if guys are elected but they don't work together we get rid of them like those gophers in the field uh, they just get washed away uh, they're still on the network and they can still come back and they can still be try to be contact ministers again but we cannot hold people out to be contact ministers and give them the privilege of looking at the email uh, list if they're not going to be contact ministers because there's that's a qualified position. It's a job. It's like you're going to run a relay race where I hand a baton to this guy and then he runs and then he hands a baton to that guy and, and then the next guy. But if you're not going to be there when I get there, you know, I just sprinted to the next handoff place and you're not there you're over there in Starbucks why do I want to put you on my team okay if we're rowing a boat 
in a race, you know, or, or, or whatever it is. And, and everybody's paddling but you. And you want to paddle over here. You want to go along, but you don't want to paddle with everybody else. Why should we keep you there? As a matter of fact, we'd be doing everybody else a disservice and everybody would be mad at the captain. So we have to let them go. And that's what we're doing. But what are we doing that's positive to help you? We'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about cubing the sheaves, like bringing in the sheaves. But we cube them. We bail them up. <laughs> we, don't, we don't just wrap them gently and bring them in. We crush them in a baler and make cubes out of them, and we're hauling them in. And uh, uh, we had a little incident with the baler yesterday morning. We hope that yeah, early we get out there pretty early in the morning, long before sun up, to catch the dew. Uh, because on the desert you have to bell your hay with dew, or you'll it will shatter the leaves off. So we get out there early, and we get a few bales, and make a corner, and all of a sudden huge crashing noises, and uh, pieces of metal uh, shattering and. All kinds of things going on in there. We stop and have to drag all the hay out uh, and crawl inside the machine to find out what happened. And a little tiny, uh, like, it's not a cotter pin. It's one of those C-clips that go on the end of a a little uh, shaft uh, that holds this little thing onto it. Uh, actually holds two uh, a chain together. You know, one of those little shafts that you stick in to hold chain links together on one end there's this little c-clamp and it's where you can't see it but anyway it evidently came off and that little pin worked its way out disconnected the chain and uh, when that happened an arm didn't get pulled back when uh, the rotations took place and so the the uh, machine crashed into this arm sticking out and uh, shattered the uh, points and and all kinds of parts that needed to be replaced, uh, some of which they do not make anymore, evidently. <laughs> what they do, they say, oh, we have a cheaper part that goes there. Uh, we don't have those old parts. They don't make those. Uh, you can put these cheaper ones in. But in order to put in the cheaper parts... You have to buy this other part, which if we replace them all would be a thousand dollars, so which is more than we paid for the baler, I think. But uh, uh, just for these little parts. So anyway, fortunately, we have an old baler that's a different kind of baler, but it had a similar part. And we, I went out and scrounged that off, and we put those in, and we got that little. But the the little piece that failed, you could you could set it on the tip of your little finger. It's just a little tiny little C clamp, and uh, that that failed. It probably wore away completely, you know, out of sight there. 
and uh, failed. And, you know, if we hired it all done, it had been thousands of dollars worth of damage. But we did it ourselves, and we scrounged the parts from <laughs> other machines that don't work anymore and uh, made it work. And that's often the way it's going to be in the kingdom. You're not going to get uh, all the big extravagant help and uh, and equipment that everybody else does. You, you're going to find it a little bit uphill in the efforts that you make seeking the kingdom because it makes you stronger. Uh, my son is an excellent mechanic, and it's because we buy junky equipment because we can't afford the good stuff. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, he bailed this morning. We, you know, we get up around three and get out there early and uh, bailed, and then he went off to work uh, after bailing for hours. And uh, they're just row after row of bales. Uh, not, I didn't see a single broken bale anywhere. They're straight. They're perfect. Uh, and uh, that's not the way the machine operated when we got it. <laughs> so. <laughs> And it's only because he's learned how to do it and, and learned how to fix it. And it's a little bit that way with the kingdom. You don't know how to be one of the mechanics of the kingdom because there is a mechanical structure to the kingdom. It gives you lots of flexibility, just like your human body. You have bones, that structure. And uh, you don't know what that structure is because you've been going to the temples the pagan temples of the modern world order of Rome. And that those temples are not made to set you free. Those temples are made to tickle your ears and, and fool you and entice you and, uh, and make you slothful. They're not to make you stronger. They're not to make you, make you wiser or better mechanics. And they're actually what is destroying your society. And when I'm saying those uh, pagan temples, I'm not only talking about your churches, but I'm talking about your government institutions in all governments all around the world that have moved more and more towards socialism. Nimrod used socialism in order to bring nations under his power. Caesar did the same thing. And uh, it, ha- it has not changed. Uh and there's a cognitive dissonance in this world today that keeps you and many other people from seeing it. Some of you are beginning to see this. And that's what the course that this free course that we're giving is all about. But you can't get that course. You could send me a thousand dollars. I won't put you on on that list. Uh I won't I won't put you on that list even if I yet yeah, offer me ten thousand dollars. I won't put you on that list. Million dollars. Well, maybe. No. I won't put you on that list. It's a matter of principle. I have to see you doing something that would lead me to believe that you actually have this spirit necessary to understand what we're going to talk about. Because we're going to talk about bones, but bones are no good without flesh. Uh, But flesh is no good without bones. Flesh... If you just have a big ball of flesh, you got the blob, you know. You don't, you don't have bones, you don't have structure. 
And God is a God of structure except for the jellyfish. No, actually even there's structure in the jellyfish. It's just not a skeletal bone system. But uh, the reality is is that we've been talking about this, but we're actually going to try to bring it down. Because we, now we have a, teams of ministers who have actually been studying and are getting the picture. And they're getting the picture not simply because they're studying, but because they're seeing. They're they're overcoming their own personal cognitive dissonance. And I thought this was interesting is that I sent out a newsletter and we had somebody unsubscribe. Now that happens once in a while. Usually we'll get somebody unsubscribe and then all of a sudden we get a flurry of people subscribing. And and that's how things keep growing. But somebody unsubscribed, I think he was from New York, I'm not sure where, maybe Texas. I'm not sure what state he was in, but it doesn't really matter. But his email was cognitive dissonance at whatever Yahoo or whatever was dot com. I, I don't know what the last part of it was. But uh, cognitive dissonance. And he spelled it funny, but that's what it, it read as. And he's left the group. <laughs> that That's a good sign. Because <laughs> that's what we have to do is... Get rid of this cognitive dissonance where you cannot see. You cannot, you know, you hear but don't really have ears to hear inside. And uh, anyway, I was starting to read before the break an email that came in just before the show started. And in it, uh, somebody said, Not being aware of any handbook of instructions regarding how to start and operate a religious order or church, the only source I know to turn to is Scripture. The very best source of answering of all of our questions. Now, the interesting thing about that, and I don't disagree with that, and this is the thing is I can often agree and disagree with a statement because people are going to take a statement different ways. And they're going to put emphasis on different words. They're going to interpret words differently. But the reality is, people have had Scripture for 200 years. They had Scripture even before Christ. They had the Torah. But the Pharisees, reading the Torah, got it all wrong. They were completely confused about what the Torah said. They read it. They followed it. They studied it. Some of them were meticulous trying to follow the details, but they missed it. But they had it, and it wasn't enough. They need something else. It's the same today, today with the modern church. You've got 40,000 denominations. They all have the scripture, but they're all confused about what the scripture actually says. So evidently, having the Scripture, reading the Scripture, some of them all you may use the King James Bible. And they still don't agree. How could they be so in disagreement? Of course, you, you've got it all figured out, right? No, you don't. I don't. None of us do. Because if we could figure it out, then it's really all about us. We can't figure it out. And besides, the scripture tells us that's not what Christ is going to base his church on or build his church or edify his church on. He was going to edify it not by your flesh and blood interpretation privately of the scripture. He's going to do it 
based on divine revelation. So, how do we know you have divine revelation? Well, divine revelation would tell us. <laughs> That's really the only way you're going to know. Obviously, you can read the Bible, but if you don't read the Bible with divine revelation, in other words, the Holy Spirit guiding you, you're going to end up with cognitive dis- dissonance because you're disconnected from the author of the Bible. You're not really connected with the author of the Bible. Now, there's all kinds of people out there that think they're connected with that author of the Bible. And they're not. They think they believe in Jesus, and they don't. And they think they're the faithful, and they're not. They're actually workers of iniquity. They're actually rulers in a pagan temple. They don't know that. They can't see that. Because they don't have eyes to see it. So, how do you get eyes to see it? You have to repent. And then repentance is not sorry. It's, it's changing your ways. You have to be forgiving and giving. You have to be still and know. You have to be diligent. To show thyself approved. I didn't say studied. Because that word is almost always translated diligent. All the information we give you about how the Bible translators have been moved before they translated the Bible. And then in some cases by their own agenda. Moved the thinking of people in a particular direction. And then we have articles coming out now showing you how definitions of word like religion has changed. Religion used to be how you fulfilled your obligation to God and your fellow man. Now it's what you think. But that's not right. It's not what you think. It's what you do. I mean, even the word threskia in the Greek is a do word. Religion, that's what we translate religion into, or from, is this word threskia. Well, threskia has to do with what you do. The rituals and ceremonies of your religion. The rituals and ceremonies of the civil religion of Rome was you register your children. You make your children the property of the state by applying for benefits from the state and taking care of the needs of your children. But of course, Christ said not to do that. He, he said, you have seen the the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other it is not to be that way with you now he's saying that to the apostles who he was appointing to be his little flock his church and you think you're a part of his church but it is that way with you You go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other to take care of your needs. And you don't base it on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You base it on the idea of giving men power to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And you think you're a Christian. And you can find ministers who will tell you that you're saved. Isn't that funny? Well, of course, it's not so funny. But they've cubed you. (laughs) <laughs> They've cubed your thinking. They've wrapped you up in baler twine. 
and they're bringing in the sheaves <laughs> that they have cubed. They've cubed your thinking. They have disconnected you from Christ. You know how you got connected to God in the Old Testament? You burn up sheep? You kill doves? No. Now, those are sacrifices. And and the word they use there, korban, in the Hebrew, meaning sacrifice, also means bringing you near. That's how you got near God, is that you you sacrifice. Well, it wasn't about burning up sheep or killing doves. It was about making an offering. Or, uh, besides making the offering, it was also about giving up a piece of your estate. That's what... You didn't kill doves. I mean, they did. By the time of Christ, they were out there killing doves. But that wasn't what the Old Testament was originally talking about. Because the same word for dove or pigeon, we say dove now, but the same word could be used for dove or pigeon, but it also meant a piece of your estate. It's something that actually belonged to you. You had to give it up as a sin offering. Well, does that mean you just take some paper bills out there and burn it up? No. That's not what it meant. It meant you gave something to help the needy. Now, you're supposed to help the needy all the time anyway. That's what religion was. Religion was how you fulfilled your duty to God and your fellow men. That's the definition 200 years ago. Somebody changed that. And then you go and read religion in the Bible and you think that they're talking about what you think. This is my religion. And this religion, we think this. And in this religion, we think that. But that's not what religion is. Religion is what you do. And in Christ's religion, you don't pray to the fathers of the earth to provide you with benefits by exercising authority over your neighbor because that would be coveting that would be going against the commandments and Jesus said if you want eternal life keep the commandments that's what Jesus said and if you don't believe Jesus then you don't believe in Jesus and therefore you don't know Jesus <laughs> because you don't have a relation knowing as a, as a relation you have a relationship with ear ticklers who give you emotional experiences that you mistake as the Holy Spirit. And they cube you into their little boxes, denominations, churches, and you can't see out of that. You think, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Jehovah Witness, I'm a Catholic, I'm a a Seventh-day Adventist. We keep the Sabbath and you don't. So therefore, we're saved and you're not. You're cubed. And they brought in the sheaves, but it's not into Christ's barn. And they got away with it because you weren't really led by the Holy Spirit. You were led by the spirit of selfishness. You know, the Holy Spirit is not selfish. The Holy Spirit is a giving spirit. It gives life. God gives life. Holy Spirit is like God. I mean, it's the image of God in spirit form of some sort. You know, I don't want to get too metaphysical about it. But that's 
the Holy Spirit is compatible with God and God is the giver of life. In hopes that you do right with that life. And so that has to be your nature. And I read something else today. I don't know if I'll, I'll find it. With somebody uh, who... Uh, uh, oh yeah, here it is, right here. Is uh, he, he, He's writing about uh, McDonald's feeding 68 million people a year. But then he tries to equate that with this... Uh, uh, oh, actually, it's 68 million people a day. <laughs> McDonald's feeds... 68 million people a day. Uh, it says that 88% of the world's population recognize the golden arches. They know that's McDonald's. It says one in eight Americans has worked there during his lifetime. One in eight. I guess I'm one of the other seven because I never worked there. But... I remember when their hamburgers were like a nickel, though. <laughs> so it shows you how old I am. Uh, they originally weren't called McDonald's, but uh, that's what they ended up being. But anyway, uh, he goes on to talk about, um, he says, McDonald's entire business is focused on doing things for its customers. McDonald's doesn't tell people that they should eat there to help small business. He says they should eat because they're hungry. He says, ultimately, people vote for politicians because they want to make their life better. Sounds like a good statement. They vote for politicians because they want to make their life better. And he has make their life better, all in caps. So, evidently, that's the emphasis. That's the problem. Is that you vote to make your life better. And that's not of God. That's not of Christ. That is not of the Holy Spirit. God didn't create you to make his life better. He created you to give life. You need to vote if you're going to vote. I'm not advising you to vote. But you need to operate in this life for the purposes of making somebody else's life better. That's right. You can't, if you're just thinking about, if you think it's about you and making your life better, and you're not thinking of others, you've already missed the Christianity boat. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ. Because Christ didn't come to make his life better. It came to make your life better. It didn't make it easier necessarily. He was going to actually make it harder in some senses, but but his burden in the long run will be light. But you're already cubed in your religious philosophies, and you don't know. So, how how do we get you closer to God, more in the ways of God? Well, you need to have the ways of Christ. And the way of Christ was that he laid down his life so that others may have life more abundant. You need to do the same thing. And the byproduct of that is that you will have life more abundant. Because if you don't lay down your life, you'll become spiritually constipated. If you do sacrifice in the way of Christ, in the name of Christ, you will have life more abundant. 
So what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you sacrifice your life in a way that gives you life more abundant? That's what sacrifice meant, is to draw near. If you have children and you don't sacrifice your time, you don't take care of them. Instead, instead you're out there taking care of yourself. What happens to your children? They'll die. They'll be malnourished, malnutrition. They will be, they will be something less than they could be. Because you didn't love them. You didn't give up your time and your life for them. When you send your kids to public school, you're not giving up your life for your children. You're taking from somebody else's life for your children. That's the first message you, you're giving. And so now there's going to be a cognitive dissonance because you're going to think that's okay to send your kids to public school. And and you'll say, well, I pay taxes. I should do that. But you know the cost of the education for the child is 6 to, to uh, actually some figures in some school districts, they pay over $20,000 per student per year. That's how inefficient they've come. You could hire private tutors for what they spend on those children. But you see, you're, you're making, you're disconnecting yourself to Christ so you cannot see life through Christ's eye. In order to see that, you have to return, you have to repent to His ways. And we'll talk more about how to do that and this new course coming up when we return to Keys of the Kingdom next time. Till then, may peace be upon your house, and God bless you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about... McDonald's restaurant. Actually, somebody made the analogy of uh, McDonald's and how it does business with government and how we look at government. Because of the fact that McDonald's feeds these 68 million people and it runs this big, efficient 
restaurant and although nobody really considers the food necessarily healthy for you <laughs> there's actually been lawsuits against them uh which i think were frivolous um because they blamed mcdonald's because they were fat and uh, and uh that's like blaming the government because you're lazy <laughs> You're going to blame the government because you're selfish and you're covetous and you have abandoned the ways of Christ. You're going to blame that on government. You know, all the problems in the world are coming from the fact that you have not been seeking the kingdom of God, seeking the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And so everything is falling apart. The economy and morality and corruption in government and you think wow we'll get out there and we'll vote and we'll fix things well you wouldn't know who to vote for you're cognitively disconnected from the fact that you're the problem you need to become the government of the people for the people and by the people by starting to take care of yourself through faith hope and charity and the perfect law of liberty a common message that you'll hear at keys to the kingdom because that is one of the keys and that's how you get closer to God. You get closer to God by giving up your life. God gave you life. You give it up in His name, in His ways. You don't just jump on a grenade. You do it with the wisdom of Christ. And you will have life more abundant. That's all you need to do. So, I can hang up now. And you can... <laughs> You don't know how to do that. And that's why we're putting on this course on the Living Network. And you can't come to the course unless you join the Living Network. And unless you, when you join the Living Network, you pick somebody that is available as part of the uh, contact minister team. And they will show you how to take the course. And now the question is, will you be able to stay the course? <laughs> Will you be able to follow through? Not just learn stuff in your head, but actually become a doer of the word. Because most churches don't know what the word is. And the word is, thou shalt not covet. The word is, love thy neighbor as thyself. The word is, to lay down your life so that you can have life more abundant. The word is, to receive the thanksgiving of Christ, the Eucharist of Christ. Share. To... Repent and get baptized meant to stop coveting your neighbor's goods and start sharing. This is what John the Baptist was saying. If you go get baptized and you don't start sharing and taking care of the social welfare needs of your fellow men through faith, open charity, when you got baptized, you just got all wet. You weren't receiving Christ. You weren't receiving the Holy Spirit. And your baptism was as valid as that guy who was in, what was it, oh brother, uh, who goes down and all my sins are washed away. Uh, and uh, including robbing that Piggly Wiggly. And uh, the guy says, you told us you didn't rob the Piggly Wiggly. He says, I lied about it. I did rob it. But... That sin's forgiven and washed away too. <laughs> it's in a line. You know, that is convenient religion. You just go get dunked in water and you don't, you're not responsible anymore. 
used to be in the Old Testament that you had to kill a dove, but you didn't really have to kill a dove. You had to make a sacrifice. That's what killing a dove meant, giving up something that you had, which we just talked about in the last show. So anyway, these are where, you know, this is, this is the idea of the kingdom of God is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means you have to take care of the needs of your fellow man, which is what religion was, according to the ways of God, which is your obligation to God, to do it his way. So that's religion. And his way is to do it by free will offerings. We see that. We call it charity today. You know how many times charity is mentioned in the Bible? You know, I've gone over this with other people, but I actually can't quite remember the number, so I'm actually looking it up, uh, typing on my uh, invisible keyboard with my left hand. <laughs> Why am I saying that? I can't read the keys on my keyboard. They're all worked away. <laughs> First time you see the word charity in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 8.1. Jesus never mentions charity once in the Holy Scripture. Isn't that amazing? Well, what's really amazing about that is it's not true. (laughs) Jesus mentions charity all the time. But they never translated charity in the Bible. When Jesus mentions charity, which is that word we see in 1 Corinthians 8.1, he's actually... When Jesus says it, they always define it or translate it as the word love because they're the same word when Paul says it it, agape they translate it charity when Jesus says it they translate it love that word charity appears as love 86 times and only as charity about 30 times so what's that all about anyway translators decided that and that's the scripture you got. So how's that working out for you? You know, uh, how many times is the word love mentioned in the Bible? Well, actually, deceptive. It's about 300 times at least. Um, the, I'll give you, I can give you an exact number here in a second. But uh, sometimes they don't translate it uh, love. They translate it... Uh, Love it. So you have to look for that word too. And uh, anyway, what they uh, it appears 443 times. There you go. But it's not always the same word. That's the problem. Is that they'll translate one word, you know, a dozen times, and another, you know, the word love. Sometimes it's translated love about 169 times in the Old Testament. The Ahab word, which is Elif. Hey, be it, uh, is translated love about 169 times, but it's also translated friend, beloved, liketh. <laughs> uh, you know, that may, that wouldn't get you very far asking your girlfriend to marry you if you say, I liketh you. <laughs> uh, she wants to hear you say, I love you. <laughs> so, <laughs> just a little a little hint there. Um, anyway, but that, that's not the only word that appears in the Bible as love. So there's a lot of other words too, but 
that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about in the course is the hundreds of words in the Bible that are translated many different ways. I can I can just go down a list of of words in the Bible that are translated one way or, or several ways, one way one time, one another way another time, and uh, it's it's kind of shocking. You like the word Barak. Now, we all know of, there's a famous fellow by the name of Barak, but it actually means bless in the Hebrew language. At least uh, 300 times the word Barak is translated bless in the Bible. But four times, not simply because it's associated with another word, but just four times they translate the word that they translate bless into curse. So, Barak can mean curse. It can mean blaspheme. It can mean blessing. It can mean praised. Uh, it can mean kneel down, because that's the way it's translated a couple times. Congratulate. Uh, kneel. Make kneel. And there's about half a dozen or more other ways in which it's translated. And, uh, of course, if you look at that word Barak in other places... Uh, it's actually given other Strong's numbers and means something else. The actual word for kneel is uh, barek, which is uh, biet, resh, uh, kuf, I think it is, which is not the word we see. Actually, that is sort of the word that we see uh, in the Aramaic for bless. But uh, that's the other thing is that uh, the letters in the Hebrew language means something. And this is one of the things, like I said, we're going to go over is the, the definition of words because even if we redefine the words back to what they originally meant when the Bible was written, we still are defining them with other words. And using those other words, people have slightly different views of what they mean. So it is a lifetime uh, journey to find out what people mean by certain words and uh, what they don't mean by certain words because you can read the scripture and if you don't know the meaning of words at the time that they were written down you will not understand that scripture unless you are absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit because then, and then at that point you don't have to read the scripture <laughs> at least for you you may have to read the scripture so that you can share things with other people who put an importance and you know they're already idol worshiping the scripture they don't know what it means but they know that's important and they have unmoored themselves from the holy spirit but they still worship the book and so you have to point out, well, you know, you say you believe in the book, but the book says do this. You know, like not coveting your neighbor's goods. You're still doing it, yet you say you believe in the book. Where does the New Testament say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods? I mean, even Paul says don't covet. And how can you not be coveting if you're asking for government benefits? You're asking somebody to take from your neighbor so that you can have benefits. So... If you want to break that cognitive dissonance, you have to almost accept that first. 
and then you can begin back. Because you, unless you turn around, and that's why John the Baptist, who is this forerunner of making straight the way of the Lord, says that if your neighbor has no coat and you have two, share. This was his instruction. He said, "Get ba- repent and get baptized. Repenting men, stop coveting your neighbor's goods and start sharing and helping one another. And then get baptized. But if you're going to continue to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority and you go out and get baptized, you're just all wet. You didn't repent, you see. And that's why, that's all really that John the Baptist talks about when he talks about instructional uh, religion as to what that religion looks like. Is that you repent, you turn around, from the ways you're going and go this other way. He was putting an end to the social estate for those who would follow the ways of God. They couldn't be a part of that. Now, many of them probably were for a little while and worked in the direction, because that's why it says seek, to where they could have this other system that was based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And that's where they were going with this. They were changing direction turning around and starting this other system and Christ came and consolidated that with enough people so that it would work you're you've been cubed into thinking that if that's okay and it's not so I had another big long email I really probably shouldn't start it um uh, let's see if we can come up with something else that would be of interest to you <laughs> today. Uh, we've got a little bit of time in the show. And we might be able to cover this. Um, it's actually from Australia. And uh, uh, he wrote specifically to me rather than to the general group. Um uh, and he said he didn't want to be controversial. Well, geez, you can't get in my boat. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, we're rowing the SS controversial. That's the ship we're rowing. <laughs> um, HS con- controversial, maybe the Holy Spirit controversial. The Holy Spirit is controversial because, I mean, it turns people's worlds upside down. Uh, he says 99% of what, uh, I have written, me, uh, Gregory has written, he agrees with. He says he's not checked everything out, and he hasn't read all the footnotes, uh, but uh, he seems to agree. He thinks that, that I'm on to something, I guess. I talk about this fractal, fractal networking, which is what the early church was doing. They didn't call it fractal networking. They called it coming together. Two or more gathered together. Loving one another. This is fractal networking. And they actually had a purpose. Threskia, religion. They had to fulfill their obligation to their fellow man. They had that. That's why you see them talking about daily ministration. Taking care of the needs of the widows and orphans. That's why they say pure religion is to take care of the needs of the widows and orphans. Unspotted by the world. And the word world there is actually the word that means constitutional order or system of government. According to theirs anyway. According to Greek scholars, 
according to all kinds of people. It's just that you think the world has to do with taking care of the widows and orphans without getting dirt on them. Because you, that would mean if you got dirt on them, they'd be spotted by the world, which is made out of dirt. You know, is that what it means? No. The world was a constitutional order system, a government that was using socialist tactics to take care of the needy by taking care, uh, taking from one class of citizen and providing for another. You can't be a Christian and a socialist. I need to add that in a, a lot of shows. You cannot be that. You do not believe in Christ if you believe in socialism. That's why so many socialists are atheists. Uh, and the truth is, if you're a socialist, you're an atheist. You don't believe in Christ as God. You're not actually really an atheist. You believe in a God, but you believe in the gods that provide you with benefits by taking away from your neighbor. Which is not what God does. What Christ did is the antithesis of Christ. So you're in opposition to Christ. You're not for him. But anyway, he says, uh, uh, he says, however, there's little doubt that God worked with King David and also uh, God seemed to accommodate the monarchical central authority system. This seems to contradict 1 Samuel 1.18. But the reality is, is that God accommodates sin. He lets you sin. He tells you, though, that if you sin... You will not sin with impunity. You know, he said, let them have their king they want it. They've already turned away from me. They're not following me. That's why they want it. It's because they've already have this cognitive disconnect, this spiritual disconnect. They don't see God. They don't see his ways. They're not doing his ways. And so, therefore, they want a king. They want to elect a commander-in-chief to fight their battles for them. They want to do that. And they think that, and God says, let them do that. Moses even knew they would do that. And he says, you know, if you're going to do that, you better write down a constitution that this has to be read to this guy daily and you need to put these five things in it. Now, they, you didn't put them in your constitution and we cover that in contracts, uh, contracts, covenants, and constitutions. But the reality is, is that God uses those governments you create to punish you in hopes that you wake up. I mean, who hasn't let their kids try something? I remember I bought a pocket knife for my son when he was going on a train trip with his mom back to see his uh, my in-laws on, on my wife's side of the family. And so she was taking, uh, I think he was eight years old at the time. And I bought a little pin knife, pocket knife, for him at Bymart and I handed it to him and I said be careful this does not come with band-aids you know that's my way of describing you know I says you can play with that if you want but it may cut you then you get blood all over etc anyway he cut himself uh, not until he got all the way to Wisconsin but he cut himself and his uh, uncle bandaged him up and everything but he learned his lesson uh, pretty much <laughs> that it's sharp okay you know I could tell him it's sharp but he's got to learn it himself and so God tells you if you decide to elect a commander in chief give him the power to exercise authority one over the other 
he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. I think there was another take in there. Uh, and he's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take the first fruits of your labor. He's going to take the best of your fields for himself. He's going to rule over you. And you're going to cry out. And I'm not going to hear you because I told you. You know, I told you not to go that way. But he let you go that way. So, David was a king after his own heart, but David screwed up too. But what is the heart? What does that mean? King after his own heart. Well, Christ is king. Did Christ come to rule over you, to exercise authority over you? He came to set you free. David occasionally sinned against God and man and tried to institute a draft. He did a number of other things and he repented of that. So that's why he was after God's own heart. Not because he was king, but because he was a repentant king. And he changed his ways and realized, hey, I can't do this. This is wrong. But most leaders aren't going to decide that. They will be corrupted. But those that do, great. The fact is that in your democracies, you have the right to take away from your neighbor. You can vote in health care, Medicaid, public schools. You can uh, do all this, you know, get better fire departments, all these things at the expense of your neighbor to benefit you, to make your life better. And you can you can excuse that and say, well, I'm making their life better too. But the reality is, is you haven't made your life better. You've Everybody has plummeted into debt. You're in bondage for the next 10,000 years. If everything was allowed to keep going, but it won't. It will collapse, just like the Roman Empire. And so, we're talking about coming together to prepare for that. But... If we're coming together so that we can create an alternative to save us, we're already spiritually constipated. If we're coming together so that we can create a little congregation around us so that they will listen to us on on Sabbath or Sunday, we've already missed it. We're already missed the anointing of Christ. We We will imagine that our relationship with Christ is blah, 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 blah. but we're cognitively disconnected and we're just making it up. Because if we were really connected to Christ, we would come to serve. Not just those who can immediately you know, it's it's like the guy who says, Cast your bread upon the water, but he isn't kinda doesn't really want to throw it out very far. And he puts it in a little plastic bag first so that so my I threw this bread out on the water, but it didn't even get wet because I had it in this plastic bag and then I pulled it out right away and so I'm going to go make myself a sandwich. That's not casting your bread upon the waters. Casting your bread upon the waters is helping somebody on the other side of the country who will never ever benefit you. You know, come on this radio station and, you know, up at three, <laughs> literally ran back to get onto the radio because we were out cubing the sheaves this morning. Except we're not going to put you in a box. We're not going to tell you what to think. We're going to tell you what we think. And that often is not going to seem like tickling your ears. Because as many as we love, we also rebuke. So the only thing we're going to cube around here are real bales of hay. We're not going to block you into a way of thinking. Does that mean that 
you're free to think anything you want? No. You will suffer for thinking wrongly. If you think that you can uh, involve yourself in immoral activity, what has been considered immoral activity for hundreds of years, you will pay a price. And that price will be painful. And others will pay a price, and that will hurt you too. If you think that you can still covet your neighbor's goods and pray to the men who exercise authority, if you think that you can dishonor your agreements with impunity, no, you can't. You have to keep your agreements. You have to make your yeses yes and your noes no. You have to be friends with the unrighteous mammon so that you can draw closer to the ways of Christ. He goes on to say, I get the sense that you personally envisage a situation where there will be an apocalyptic collapse and HHC's preparations should generally cater for that exclusively. Well, that's... that's, uh, that's his sense. That's not what we talk about at all. What we're really talking about is caring about others as much as you care about yourself. And, you know, I, I have a spare tire in my truck. I carry it with me every time I go anywhere with my truck. I am not worried about an apocalyptic blowout. <laughs> it's just good sense. I I can look out in the world and I can see them making GMOs and invading almost... I mean, like 80% of the foods that you purchase, processed foods that you purchase, are outlawed in other countries because they believe that they contain poison that destroys you. And, And the statistics are overwhelming. People having... You know, there are dairy farmers that were experiencing 45% infertility. That would absolutely destroy a dairy farmer. They stopped using GMO grain and things improved almost immediately. The same with pig farmers and all kinds of other farmers. We just had somebody who was raising up a, a steer and they were really pouring the grain to them for the fair and it just suddenly bloated and died. Which of course is what that grain is supposed to do. It's supposed to cause the bugs to bloat and die. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, they gave too much to the cow and he bloated and died. Was that GMO grain? I actually haven't researched that situation, but there's lots of evidence that GMO grain does exactly that. Kills animals. Makes them infertile. And yet they're producing the stuff by the millions of tons and it's going to devastate your agricultural system because they're driven by money. They want to make money. Lots and lots of money. They don't really care about you. They care about the money. That's their motive. And it's the same way with, uh, you know, I came across an interesting thing. If you're an international organization, you're tax exempt. You don't, you don't pay taxes on income. You don't pay taxes on property. You don't, you're not subject to regulations. You're an international organization. How do you get to be an international organization? Executive order of the president. 
So he can just take any company with an executive order. He can make their business completely tax-free in the United States. Isn't that amazing? You think a multi-billion dollar company would be appreciative of that offer? <laughs> Do you think that the, the, the president might become wealthy if he chose to make certain countries, uh, certain companies, um, you know, let's, let's get a list. Find out who have been labeled by the president as international corporations. Do you think your media will let you know that? I wouldn't count on it. Big money, big power. Anyway, we'll be back to Keys to the Kingdom in a little bit. And we'll talk more about this idea of where HAC is really seeking to go. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I hadn't read all of the email that I had uh, gotten from this uh, fellow in Australia before I had to run out and start raking hay. Uh, and so I was madly skimming through it uh, during the break. And uh, I, I'm going to address some of these things. He talks about technological, because that I, I talk about this... Uh, 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 specialization. He talks about technological specialization. Uh, he talks about farming type economy based in the mid 19th century and ranching and stuff like that. Now, we're actually back where we can, we can grow most all of our own food. We encourage people to start seed banks in every congregation. We encourage people to start backyard gardens. We don't tell people to leave the cities. We tell people to get connected. To get connected with other people who care about you as much as you should be caring about them. And you should need, and you need to start caring about them. And there is so much that you can do. You know, CSAs and, and all this stuff. Well, I would, I would do that even if there wasn't an apocalypse coming because I understand that the food that you're getting is terrible. It's bad for you. It's bad for your kids. You know, it's just like I encourage breastfeeding. I'm not against uh, boiling bottles. I I think formula is disgusting and absolutely degenerative to the health and well-being of your children. But really, the real value in breastfeeding over formula is the fact that you have to give of yourself. You know, it's inconvenient. Uh, it's actually, most mothers prefer it once they try it, but it's, uh, it's about sacrifice. It's about moving according to the character of God. It's a lot of trouble to grow your own garden. I mean, uh, I see people say, oh, we have a garden this year. You know, you look at it, it's like a postage stamp garden. They got enough lettuce to last them a couple of weeks, you know. They're not growing their food. If you're going to grow your food out of your garden, you're talking thousands of pounds per family of produce coming out of your garden. Uh, people, people don't know how much they consume. But the reality is, is that taking the time and the energy 
can allow you a certain amount of independence. But if you're going to develop that independence so that you can go out and be slothful in other things, then you're missing the whole point. Uh, he talks in his uh, in his first uh, statement. He actually kind of numbers them here. Technological specialization logistically requires concentrations of localized workforces. For example, the manufacturer of farm machinery needs uh, a fair number of people with various trades and skills to be in close proximity with each other. In other words, a town or a city. Actually, you don't really need a town or city. Uh, we all know from Hillary, it takes a village. That's all you need. We're big promoters of these wiki and um, other uh, open source technologies where people are actually building, uh, that they actually have plans that they've been working on and they've been expanding this. I don't know if they're going to keep at it, but, uh, you know, he starts off talking about a tractor. He was going to go out and be farming. He was a, I think he was a physicist. He was going to go out and do this farming. And uh, so he goes and buys a tractor, and he, he breaks the tractor, and it costs him all kinds of money to fix it and all this stuff. And this is kind of interesting that we get into this because we just broke the baler because of a little tiny, tiny little part that we couldn't make ourselves hardly. And I had to go out and scrounge parts off of something else. In the process of doing that, rather than buying the you know, $500 or to $1,000 worth of parts necessary to fix this um, because they don't sell the part that's in it. They say sell a mount that's 245 or $54 a piece, and there's like four or five mounts needed to do all of the bars. <laughs> so you would be spending lots of money to fix this whole part, and we fixed it almost for free. Uh, except for the running around it, and then we didn't have that little seat clamp. But we learned something about machinery. We learned about how putting things together. When I was pulling the parts off this other one, there are gears in there, and I've already robbed hundreds of dollars worth of parts off that for other uh, equipment, pulling out gears and chains and what have you, uh, to keep other equipment running. Well, that's the beginning Uh of our independence. You should see, and I'll probably send you pictures on our Facebook, our bale accumulator. For years, we picked up every bale out of the field by hand. We picked them up and stacked them on the cart, got up on the cart and stacked them higher, hauled the cart all the way back home and across the dam and up through the desert. And then, because the field is right here, it's a little ways away, and now we have this bale accumulator. It is made out of an old truck. It is it is the most uh, amazing piece of equipment. Completely welded with rebar and uh, you know the guides for picking up the bales are old bumpers cut in half and reversed. And uh, it, it is total American uh, made vehicle. And it picks up the bales and uh, stacks them. And then uh, it doesn't stack them, but it puts them in what they call a pad. And then we can bring them over and put the pads all in one place and then put them on the cart with a, a farmhand. And there are other equipment that we can make. But we're improving our skills to make us more independent, to keep these going. We've made alcohol for alcohol fuel. We know how to do that. And... Uh, uh, we're not do it, but it's hugely time consuming. Uh, 
And one of the things that he goes on and is talking about here, he talks about this, uh, uh, the consequences of using, e.g., tractors, is that less people are required to be involved with the production of farm produce. The purpose of all technology is to reduce the number of people involved with the production process. I see this as an axiom. Uh, a spade is easier to use than a stick. And a stick is uh, easier to use than your hands. It is natural and normal for people to look for a better way of doing anything. But not always. Uh, contemporary economics and purpose of technology is to reduce financial costs with the result that displaced people unemployed lose their income and can no longer buy goods or services. That's not necessarily true. That can be true. It has to do with the motivation. Uh, when I was first walking sheep out onto the desert and herding them, I would see these tufts of wool hanging on um, branches of greasewood and I would pick them up and eventually I would roll them on my pant leg and I do this as I'm following the sheep and I would spin them into yarn and I could spin rather a lot of yarn just rolling and stretching out that wool in, in, in as I was walking. Then I went and looked up. Is there another way to do this? Well, I learned about drop spindles. I can make a drop spindle out of a wad of clay and a stick and spin wool rather rapidly now. But then I wanted to make a spinning wheel, and I couldn't figure it out. I saw picture after picture. I couldn't quite figure out what they were doing. Heard an old lady was spinning wool 75 miles away in Lapine. I drove up there, and I sat there with like uh, 20 little kids watching this 90-year-old woman spin wool, and I was watching that spinning wheel as it was going and, and winding the wool at the same time. It was a Saxon wheel, and... Uh, I went home and built one. Huge improvement in technology. Now, if you go back in history, when they went, you know, when they, it was people like Leonardo da Vinci who really improved the spinning wheel. And they, when they did this, this revolutionized the production of cloth, linen cloth and everything else, which improved uh, or increased the number of rags that were available because when something wore out, became a rag uh, they could they could make cloth so much easier they they would turn clothes into rags more readily well then what do you do with all these extra rags well that improved the paper industry because these extra rags could be mixed in with pulp and produce linen paper which was a far superior paper now what do you do with all this paper? Well, let's make books out of it. And so let's, you know, invent movable type. And uh, to print books faster. Because we got lots and lots of paper. It's not as expensive now. So it wasn't to put people out of work. It was to get more stuff. And give us time to do other things. When you're doing everything... I could go out and spin wool... Weave wool. Uh, I'm not a good knitter, uh, but I got some witty knitting daughters. (laughs) They're very good at crocheting and knitting. But uh, you go knit a sweater, I can go down to Goodwill and buy it for a buck. 
the sweater that would take me hours and hours of time to produce myself. So I, the same way if I spin it on my leg, well, I could spin it faster with a drop spindle and even faster with a, a Saxony wheel. And when they invented the spinning jenny, people actually were out to kill the people who were inventing the spinning jenny because it was putting widows out of work because they were actually making their livelihood by spinning wool and the spinning jenny comes along and spins it so much faster. That's It's like 10, 15 spinning wheels run by one person and usually water power. So that was actually considered an evil thing, the same as the printing press. But it wasn't, the motivation wasn't to put people out of work. That may be the motivation of some. Actually, their motivation really isn't to put people out of work, but to make them cheaper so that they could get richer. You see, our whole message is about doing things for other people. That's why I started off that thing where the, the reason you vote, if it's to make your life better, You've already missed it. If the reason you invent a spinning wheel is to make your life better, you've already missed it. You you want to invent a spinning wheel so that people don't freeze to death during the winter because they can, you know, they can make the 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 clothes that they need to keep themselves warm. That needs to be your motivation. Both items, you know. People, somebody was complaining about uh, people who complain about GMOs. He says, if you don't want GMOs, stop eating, because he sees he knows food shortages are coming up, and GMOs are promising that they'll produce all, a lot more food, and they will, but it'll be toxic food. <laughs> it will kill you, and it's already doing that. A huge amount of gastrointestinal problems in people. I mean, it's it's reached plague proportions in the last 10, 15 years. You just go look at the statistics. Where's that coming from? It's coming from this processed GMO food. It's killing people a little at a time. And that killing is going to increase rapidly, and the health problems are going to increase rapidly, because more and more products are coming on the shelf every day that are made with these chemically altered, genetically modified foods their motivation is to make money not to feed the world their bean counters are saying if we produce this and we control you can tell by what they're doing controlling the market they'll contaminate your crop with their pollen and then force you by law to destroy your crop because they have patented their crop and the reason the courts are letting them do this is because the courts have been bought off because we're dealing with billions of dollars. You create, and where did this all come from? Did it come from GMOs? It came because you coveted your neighbor's goods and you desired your life be better at the expense of your neighbor. You've already missed it. And so therefore you create offices of power, commanders and chiefs, so that they will fight your battles for you because you're not interested in fighting your own battles, but you had already missed it before you got to that point. You are not interested in fighting the battles of your neighbor because you did not love your neighbor as yourself. You wanted to be secure socially. But I want to be secure socially. 
But I know that to be secure socially means that I have to care about my neighbor as much as myself. You think that you you wanting to be secure more socially doesn't have anything to do with caring about your neighbor. It has to do with taking from your neighbor to make yourself better. So I have nothing against technology. As a matter of fact, I can tell you Because I see things in the future. Yeah, I see cataclysms coming in the future. But I also see people who will invent things that are inventable right now. Machines that you would almost consider to be magic. You're like, how can you do that? And there's people are talking about, you know, free energy machines. Most of that's crap that's out there. It's just charlatans, you know, baiting people that, you know, they're fooling themselves. But, I'm telling you, there is equipment that can be made that would be miraculous. But you won't figure out how to do it until you start caring about your neighbor as much as yourself. The fact is, your body, your human body, the genetics of your human body, most of your genes aren't even turned on. Why? Because you're not turned on to God, who is the creator of your genes. (laughs) You're not really turned on to God. You're turned on to religion. Which has become what you think. So, I'm not against technology. I'm all for technology. But I'm interested in controlling the technology that I depend upon. For what purpose? So that I can care for my neighbor as much as I can care for myself. Not so that I can make my life more comfortable. I can tell you this. If I wanted to make my life more comfortable, I would not be preaching the kingdom of God (laughs) and His righteousness. Because the truth don't pay. Your tickling pays. I could have a private jet by now with what I know. All I have to do is just disconnect from my conscience and go out there and preach lies to the people. Preach what they want to hear. He goes on to say, developing further uh, on this item too, is the scope of technology can be expected to increase in a free society. That's just what I'm saying. Uh, then it seems obvious that less people are required to produce the goods and services that society will consume. Corollary is that people need to start building metaphorically Uh, pyramids of constraining technology so that all people are involved with the work. You know, out here where we live, people ask, uh, are there any jobs out here? And I says, there's no jobs out here. There's a lot of work out here. There's just no jobs. I, there isn't enough hours in the day to do the jobs I would love to do. But I, but you know, I'm often, in order to make a living, I have to do jobs that pay less and less and less because I'm, I'm not a part of your society uh, in a numerical sort of way. <laughs> For those of you who can interpret that. I don't have the numbers. And I don't have the mark of the beast. I can't go out and get a job like everybody else. They won't give them to me. I mean, legally I could, but this is where we kind of started in the show two hours ago is that They're using industry, you know, like banks and PayPal and guys like this, to cut off the church, to exclude the church. They they know they can't make any laws accepting or prohibiting the establishment of a religion, 
But they get corporate America to exclude you because you don't have their numbers. Because you haven't got the mark of the beast. This is, it's, it's right before you. People are waiting for a chip. That's ridiculous. It's nothing to do with a chip. It doesn't say anything about a chip in the Bible. Go, go look at our study, detailed study of the mark of the beast. You already got the mark of the beast and you've got it because you lack faith. What I'm talking about is having faith. The fact is, is they're going to cut you off from gas. They're going to cut you off from parts. That little tiny part, that little tiny seat clamp. We went down to a major tractor supply place that sells hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of parts every year. That little C- common C-clip. They had two. <laughs> That's all they had is two. <laughs> Used to be when you went into a tractor supply place back in the 60s when I was first working on wheat farms, you could you could probably go in the back room and build yourself another tractor <laughs> with the parts they had in-house, on hand. Now, it's overnight delivery. You know, tell us when you can get it here because it's in some warehouse in Portland. That it's all part of a machine. If that machine breaks down, you can't order it, you can't get it, your tractor stops because you can't get a part as big as your little finger. And and that's why we've encouraged people to get interested in these guys who are making their own tractors in a village setting. That yeah, they still don't have steel industry, they still have to have I beams and things like that. But you can get all those out of old cars. You can get a lot of these parts off the shelf. You don't need to send away to Fukushima to get the parts you need because they're only made in Japan now or China. You can get them off the shelf. And the more you do now, the less you have to do later. So I agree that in a free society that is not simply interested in being free, but in interested in their neighbor's freedom, which is why we are uh, cutting certain people off in the PCM group. They're very interested in freedom. They're very interested in liberty. Theirs. They're not interested in somebody on the other side of the country. They're not interested in somebody in the other side of the network. They're interested in their liberty. And it's evident by what they do now. I could be wrong. Show me. By your fruits, I know you. But they don't see it. But I'm not responsible for what they don't see. I tell them. But they're not listening. They don't have ears to hear. So we have to let them go. We have to dust our feet off and let them go. Because we got lots of people who do want to get with the program. The program of Christ. Start caring not only about yourself as much as your neighbor, but your neighboring congregations as much as your own. He goes on in item four to put some numbers to all this. He talks about uh, uh, some estimates circa 1950 that less than 5% of the population that are capable of working are actually required to produce the requisite goods and services uh, required for consumption by all. But the fact is, is... There are all kinds of things you could do. You could be homeschooling. Your wives should not be out in the workplace. They have the most important responsibility on the face of the earth, in society and out of it. The raising and educating of their children. 
you fathers should not be working hours out in the workplace. They they talk like everything is to reduce the number of employees. No, it's to make money. The the reality is is you should be spending more time with your sons and your daughters. Raising them up. It won't be because you don't have anything to do. We we just think that's comical when people say there's nothing to do. There's not enough time to do all the things that you could be doing. But the the fact is is that it isn't about reducing the number of people that are able to work in the workforce. It's about productivity. Are you being productive as an individual? You know, my my son, uh, who was out bailing this morning uh, long before sunup, and then bailed for hours and then went off to work at a fish farm, and will come home and will go out and accumulate. He can't find enough hours in the day to do the things that he would like to do. It, it's that's what we need to do in a free society. And we'll talk more about this and a lot more next time on Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.